I now have the uh, pleasure of introducing today's speaker. What can I say about James? Well, James is incredible. He is the head of ops here at the church. He uh, lubricates the wheels. He makes things happen here. If anyone wants to contact us or get anything done, don't contact us. That's the general rule. Contact James and it will happen. He is a man of integrity, a man of authority. We love him dearly and we can't wait to hear what God has put on his heart for this morning. So let's welcome James up. everybody. Gosh, it's lovely to see your smiling faces again. Always, always a pleasure. Um, yeah, it's a real privilege to be able to come up here and share a message um, that I feel that God has put on my heart. And uh, it feels like maybe there's some themes coming through throughout the day. Um, it's been an amazing uh, service so far. So um, yeah, I'm just going to pray for us before we begin quickly. So uh, yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here. Thank you. Your spirit is already here, Lord. Um, Thank you that we can come to meet together in this place. And Lord, we pray that um, yeah, any, anything, any of the words that are from you would remain. Anything that isn't of you would just be fall, fall by the wayside and just be lost. Heavenly Father, in your name. Amen. So we are continuing our theme of portraits. And I'm loving this theme. And the reason I love it is that it's great to be able to look at a character in the Bible and see their whole kind of story from beginning to end. Uh, we see where they got it right, and we get to be inspired. Uh, and often, for me, I find it helpful to look at where they got it wrong, and how God still used them, and worked through them, and his presence was with them in incredible ways. And that's great for us, because I don't know about you, but uh, I can sometimes look at the Bible characters, these ordinary people who God did really extraordinary things through, and wonder why it doesn't always feel like that with my relationship with Jesus. And that's not because we need more big, outward, world-changing stuff to necessarily happen, although no complaints if that does, absolutely. Um, but it's just a question, am I still pursuing, as my first aim, a deeper relationship with Jesus and with his spirit? Because the church in Acts 2 was prophesying, it was having visions, raising the dead, healing the sick, selling their possessions, giving everything to the poor. These guys had, it seems to me, a pretty full portion of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit. And one of the crazy things that really struck me at New Wine this week was the amount of kind of amazing Holy Spirit moving stuff that seems to be happening all around the world in very ordinary people like you and me. Um, and tell you the truth, I was a little bit jealous. Now, hear me, I don't know if that's quite the right theological way to put it, but like, I, I, was, I, I was like, I want some of that. Like, that's amazing, I want that. I wanna see that here, I wanna see that breakout here. I want to see more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit in my own life, in our lives, in this city. Um, and hear me right, I'm very happy with me remaining ordinary. But I want to see and experience more of Jesus being extraordinary in our lives. So before I introduce my portrait, I just want to start us off with a quick question. Are you satisfied with what you have so far of Jesus in your life? Or are you hungry for more? Because we're often taught, aren't we, that we should be content with what we've got. We're often taught, aren't we, that we should be content with what we've got. To be joyful and grateful for what we have. And of course those things are right and good in our everyday lives. But when it comes to our faith lives, 
Shouldn't we always be hungry for more? Shouldn't we always want more of God than we currently have? I think we should. If we're standing on a Sunday and singing, God, take us deeper, or we want more of you, or we'll never stop singing, I believe that we should really mean it. And we do mean it. I mean, I I believe as a church we do really mean it. But as I was asking myself as I was preparing this message, why don't I always see that in me? What is it that holds me back? And ultimately, the the answer to that question is me. I hold me back. I'm the reason that rather than pursue it, I have settled for a less than extraordinary life with Jesus at times. Because the church in Acts 2 saw amazing signs and wonders. And more importantly, they saw huge numbers of people coming to know Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. And we're here believing that God's same spirit lives in us as followers of Christ. We can access that same revelation, that same authority in the name of Jesus. But we don't always do it. I don't always do it. I want to go deeper. I want to dream bigger in my faith. But sometimes, why can't I? And I think that for a lot of us, me included, we can put disqualifiers in our own way, or we allow the enemy to whisper them to us. Who am I that God should really use me in that way? Who am I to have an extraordinary life in Christ? Who am I to see Holy Spirit move, really? Surely not me, God, you can't use me. Or at least not past a certain point. Maybe the point I'm comfortable saying yes, or the point that I feel it all makes sense, or the point that fits with my life. Or maybe it's the point before I have to actually show who I really am, or what I've really done. Or maybe it's up to the point even that I just have to step out of my chair. And very quickly, oh dear, suddenly I'm singing oceans, but really I'm only experiencing puddles. So this is a message I feel like God has put on my heart for today, that whatever disqualifiers it is that we put on ourselves to say we can't live that extraordinary life that we see, that we can't see those signs and miracles and wonders, that we can step closer into what God has called us to be. And thankfully, we have a role model in the Bible, someone who has made almost every mistake possible and still managed to step into life in a big way in all its fullness. And I would put to you that if God can use this person in this way to let his spirit break out in the way that it did, then he can darn well do it in you and in me. And that person is Peter, the disciple of Jesus. Now, I, I, love, I love Peter. His heart is almost always in the right place. And he goes on such a transformational journey with Jesus. And we're going to look at a few pairs of things that could have disqualified Peter and could perhaps be causing us to write ourselves off or disqualify ourselves. And yet God used Peter anyway in the biggest ways. And hopefully by the end of it, we'll have run out of reasons why not to step into an even deeper and more extraordinary life with Jesus. Everybody still with me? Everybody still up for it? Good, because that's where we're going either way. Um, And we're going to be flitting around in Peter's life a little bit, um, in and out of a few passages. It'll all be on the screen behind me, but obviously feel free to follow along in your Bibles as well. So, number one disqualifiers, being and beginning. So I'm going to read from Luke. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, 
The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, you might read that and think, James, this passage is pretty much all about this bloke, Simon. And you're quite right, because names are an important thing in the Bible. And Simon, as he is called here, is later named by Jesus as Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. But right now, in this moment, he's Simon. He's fallen at the first hurdle, really. He's not even shown up with the right name. Um, but interestingly, the name Simon means to hear and to be called. And talk about humble beginnings. He starts out, and he's basically the boat driver for Jesus. I feel like there's probably a more technical term than boat driver for that, but I'm not a sailor, so I don't really know. Um, so I'm going to go with it. He's the, he's the boat driver. He's not wise or learned or important. He doesn't come from a family who knows it all or has great success. He's a fisherman and a boat driver. But he does get to see this amazing miracle up close, this catch of fish. And suddenly, in that moment, he recognizes Jesus and just how unworthy he is. There's nothing particularly about this guy that says he's going to be a great leader of the early church. There's nothing particularly remarkable about him. And yet he lives out his name, Simon. He hears and he is called. And there's a few things here for us that we need to ask ourselves, I think. Firstly, do you feel like you've settled for a less than extraordinary life with Jesus because of where you started before you met Jesus? If that's you, no, that doesn't disqualify you. Who you were before you met Jesus or who you are right now if you're sitting in this room and you've never met him, that's not what matters. If you feel too unimportant or too ordinary, too unnecessary to the world for whatever reason, or just like your story is too uneventful, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you, you look at your story and you wonder, you're like, could, could this, could my story really touch anybody else? Or maybe this was your story many years ago. You, you first met Jesus and you had, you saw a glimpse of him, something miraculous and wonderful happened. You had your own enormous catch of fish moment and you heard and you were called and you went off to follow him. But somewhere along the line, it got a little bit lost or a little bit too comfortable or a little bit too hard to go and lead the extraordinary life. That spark may have dimmed, but it isn't lost. We hear, and so we have been called. And just to be clear, that call is for absolutely everyone. If you are here, you can know the call of Jesus in your life. You have been called. Wherever you began your journey with Jesus, or whatever your being looks to you right now, does not discount or disqualify you from an extraordinary life with Jesus. So maybe that one's for you this morning. Number two, fear 
and foolishness. So now we're going to go to Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? So I would imagine that most of us know that story, and when it's spoken on, we, there are all kind of different spins that get put on it about what Peter did right, about what Peter did wrong. Um, and I think we can all agree that this would have been a terrifying moment for the disciples. But after the storm had died down, and the dust had settled, and realistically probably after Jesus was out of earshot, if I'd been on that boat and watched Peter, you know what I think would have happened if it was my friends and I? Someone would have gone, <laughs> Peter got wet. <laughs> because the first thing that Peter does is he gets out of the boat. Jesus tells him to come, and he does, which is amazing. But I wonder if there was a bit of him that was wondering if he was just to sink as soon as he put his foot outside the boat. Did he have any doubts that Jesus was really calling him? Did he worry that he might look stupid or foolish or silly or wonder what his friends on the boat would have said about him or said behind his back if he was brave and stepped out and it had all gone wrong? That would certainly have occurred to me. Realistically, that would have been the first thing that would have occurred to me. Am I going to look like an idiot in front of the people that I know if stepping out like this doesn't work? Does anyone else ever have that thought? Like, we worry about feeling silly in front of our friends. If we're being really honest, do we even think it sometimes here in church around our Christian brothers and sisters, not wanting to take a step for fear that we might, someone might judge us if we sink? And that, that isn't how it is. We have a church family who loves us, who love one another, but that doesn't stop that doubt from creeping into my mind. The potential for looking silly and looking foolish and looking stupid didn't stop Peter. And it shouldn't stop us from living an extraordinary life with Jesus. Yes, we need to be reasonably confident that Jesus is calling us to something. But that level of confidence can be measured against the risk that we're taking. If you believe that God is stepping you to, calling you sorry, to step off a boat into the middle of a storm, then I would say you have to be pretty confident before you climb overboard. But what about if you feel God calling you to go and pray with someone that you know? To go and encourage them with the scripture? To dance or jump or clap in worship? To step out and respond to something that's been said? In those situations, if we believe it's God calling us, then can we take that risk of looking foolish if we're wrong, because ultimately it's okay if we are, and God loves it when we try to be obedient to hearing his voice. Who knows, church, we might actually walk on the water.
okay, Peter, he made it out of the boat. He made it onto the water. And maybe, maybe you have too. Maybe you've made it out of the boat. Maybe you're on the waters. And the reality suddenly hits you of what you have done. Anyone ever taken a faith step like that? You thought it was God's voice, but suddenly you look around and the sea's gotten really choppy and the water is getting awfully high. Like, this is not, you know, dry feet that I was expecting, Jesus. I am kind of up to my knees here. Usually we aren't, uh, sorry, Peter, Peter is afraid. He's afraid in this moment. Who wouldn't be afraid? And his fear means that he start to sink, starts to sink. Even though we know from this passage that it was Jesus that called him. We know it 100% it was Jesus that called him. He said it. Usually we aren't that fortunate to know that something is 100% Jesus. But even here, when Peter was called 100% Jesus, he still had fear and he still started to sink a little bit. Just because you step out in something and you start to sink slightly at a certain point, that doesn't mean that it wasn't Jesus who was calling you to step out in the first place. If we want to see our lives be extraordinary, then we can't just do what we've always done. We will sink sometimes to some degree. Being afraid is very human. Sinking is very human. But Peter, he had the right tactic. He stepped out as soon as he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, bang, Jesus had him. Risking looking foolish in front of others or a fear of sinking or of not being sure if we've heard God right or of not being sure if God's going to come and save us because he will. That stuff doesn't disqualify us from an extraordinary life with Jesus. Okay, number three, confusion and contradiction. So we're going to go a little bit further. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. <laughs> Do, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? <clears throat> Strong. There are things about our faith that we don't always get right first time, or even the hundredth time. There are things that we just won't get, questions that we have, real, genuine struggles. Sometimes we, or at least I, can just read the Bible or, or kind of experience God and feel remarkably stupid. Sometimes it's a silly stupid, like when the donkey talks to Balaam, like, what's that about? Um, but other times, it can be a really hard thing to grapple with. Why is this happening to me, God? Why is there so much suffering? I believe that you can fix this or you can heal this, so why haven't you? And some of that stuff isn't going to be answered this side of eternity. Some questions, some of our confusions are going to have to wait. And you can get in line behind me to ask Jesus when we all meet in there. Um, but in the meantime, being confused or not feeling like you get it or not feeling smart enough 
not having the answers to the questions or just always needing to ask questions, that doesn't disqualify you from an extraordinary life with Jesus. It's easy to look at the people who seem like they understand it all and go, yeah, they wrote a Christian bestseller. They get it. Or yeah, they, they, they preached a great sermon. They know what they're talking about. They know enough to have an extraordinary life with God. They don't. It's not about knowledge or wisdom. In this passage, Peter so doesn't get it that he asks Jesus to explain, and Jesus says, are you still so dull? I don't mean to criticize Jesus' teaching style um, at any point, but please be confident if you have questions and you ask someone here in this church, they will not say to you, are you still so dull? Um, Sometimes we need other people to help explain stuff to us or to work stuff through with us. And some things we will never be able to understand or explain. But much like, at least not this side of eternity, but much like Peter, confusion, not always understanding, doesn't disqualify us from an extraordinary life with Jesus. And finally, silence and shame. So we're going to move on a little bit further and go in the Gospel of Matthew. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know that man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And so here we come to the final pair, possibly the most hideous pair in our list of things that maybe should have disqualified Peter from living an extraordinary life. Earlier on in Matthew, Peter tells Jesus, even if all the others leave you, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never leave you, I will die with you. Peter, in that moment, was a hypocrite. He said one thing to Jesus' face and to all the other disciples around, but then he couldn't live up to his own words. He believed something. He genuinely, truly believed it. I believe that in his own courage. But that then left him when it mattered the most. And I think the title of this passage is heartbreaking because it's Peter disowns Jesus. And that word disown means to refuse to acknowledge or maintain any connection with, to cut off entirely. Peter cut himself off entirely from Jesus in that moment just as Jesus had told him that he would. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So often our silence and our shame can make us feel disqualified from living the extraordinary life with Jesus. The enemy whispers to us that the things that we've done or not done mean that what we've got right now is all that we're able to get from God. We can't 
come any closer, we can't approach any further, we can't receive any more than the portion that we already have at best. We might even believe that we've been forgiven for those things, but we still hold the weight of those decisions like an anchor keeping us in place. I could never have an extraordinary life in Jesus. I could never experience the Holy Spirit in that way because of that thing that holds me back. If people knew that thing about me, then they would know that I am a fraud. It's that voice that says, I should have spoken up in that moment, and I didn't. It's that voice that said, I profess one thing on a Sunday, and I do a different thing on a Monday. Peter disowned Jesus, and Jesus went to die on a cross alone. And the really, really beautiful thing about it, and the thing that I just cannot quite get my head around, is the fact that he knew that it was going to happen, and he did it all anyway, and he sowed into Peter anyway, and he knew Peter's courage would fail him in that moment. He knew that he would disown him. Even when he was imparting all that stuff, that wisdom into him for those three years when they were sitting and eating together, he knew. Even when he called him, he knew. And that's our story as well. Because it can be awful to feel the shame of failing God. Like we've sung the songs, read the words, prayed the prayers, received the blessings, and we've had the filling from God, but ultimately we still all failed and let God down. We still find ourselves weeping bitterly in the courtyard outside. But if that's you, that's definitely me, if that's you, God knew when he called you that that was going to happen. That doesn't disqualify you. That's part of the journey that he's taking us all on. And we know that after Jesus' resurrection, there was this wonderful moment where he restores Peter. And that was always part of the plan too, right from the fall of creation. Everything that Jesus shared with and sowed into Peter came knowing that he would have to restore him after the resurrection. We've all disowned Jesus. We've all left him on a cross to die alone. All had our moments where our courage or our character or our faith failed us. And rather than say, Lord, your way, we said, no, my way, my way. But Jesus knew that right from the off. From the moment he flung the stars into sky, he knew that we would do that. And everything, everything you've received from Jesus in your entire life, everything I've received, every moment where we see God the Father, every touch of Holy Spirit, everything that we've received is still part of that plan. Maybe for some of us here, we need to just know his forgiveness. But I also think for some others of us, we know that we've been forgiven, but there's a scar that remains. And that actually what God wants to do is not only forgive, but restore this morning in the same way that he restored Peter. Because that grace means it's gone for good. Not only are we forgiven, but we are restored. And whatever that thing is, that says you can only get a certain closeness to Jesus, you can only experience a certain level of his Holy Spirit, you can only come into his presence to a certain level, that is gone. Don't let shame or silence disqualify you from getting more of him today. I've got one more slide to show you and then I'm going to finish. Um, because when we get to Acts 2, we finally see Peter after he's been restored. This guy who has been on such a journey with Jesus 
who we could make a laundry list of failings and failures and why he should have been disqualified. Well, Holy Spirit falls. Peter addresses the crowd. You know, the bit where they're all, they're talking in tongues and people are saying they're drunk. And he's like, no, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. It's too early for a pie. Um, and 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 people. This guy that we've just been talking about. 3,000 people. He received the Holy Spirit on that day, and that is what happened in him. And we have that same Spirit in us. When you invited Jesus to come and live in your heart, Holy Spirit came. 3,000 people. Why couldn't that, why couldn't that be us? Why, why couldn't that be us? And before you instantly put a reason in your own head why that couldn't be you, like I do, as to why it couldn't be me, Remember that we've just looked at a guy who had so many reasons why not him. But Holy Spirit is greater than that. And he is greater than our reasons too. And I've only, I've only got one more sentence written down on my piece of paper. And, um, and it didn't, I wasn't quite sure how it fit or where it fit in this sermon. And... Um, you know, because I was, I, was, I was reading this and I was writing it and I was trying to live it. And I was like, okay, God, like, I'm going to be obedient to whatever it is that you, you say that you want me to do. And um, yeah, and then we had that absolutely amazing moment after worship. People came to the front, saw a bit of Holy Spirit. That was great. Absolutely loved that. And I went, okay, God, well, it's fine, we've had that moment now. We don't, we don't need to have another moment like that. That's fine, I'll just, I'll just finish what i am got here. Because we, we do one moment like that in church, right? That's what we do. Um, but the, the word that I've got written down on my page in block capitals says, if we always do what we've always done, then we'll always get what we've always got. So I... Maybe you were someone who, had, who heard that Holy Spirit call the first time we had people at the front and you went, no, that's not me. I've disqualified myself. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you came up, but you're just hungry, more hungry, but you felt like there was something more that you didn't get. If this has moved you in some way, if you feel like God has moved you in some way, can I ask us all to stand to our feet? And maybe we can have the band come back up if that's okay. And I'm going to encourage you again, if you want to, to step out. If you're just hungry for more, because there isn't, there isn't, a, there isn't a full line here. It's not like we've had our portion of Holy Spirit and now we don't get any more because there is always more. And if you were someone who felt a call to step out that first time and you weren't able to because you, would, you felt like you were disqualifying yourself, can I encourage you to take a risk and see what Jesus can give you with more. So if that's you, just, just come, come make your way to the front. As Nikki said, there's nothing special about the carpet down here. You don't need to come closer to keep me company. Um, just come and receive more of Holy Spirit, if that's what you want. We're just gonna wait.
say, come, come Holy Spirit. And it doesn't need to look like anything. It doesn't need to look like for us what it looks like for the person next to us. Just receive. Let him do his thing. you can still receive there's nothing special about this bit up here just say Holy Spirit come and then just wait see what he gives you